aqua lasses and anyone else in between welcome to the debut episode of stream fighter 2 where we take a look at streaming content that might be coming at you from disney plus netflix paramount plus peacock or any other streaming service that uh may you know spring its head into this crazy world of pop culture consumption. My name is Johnny C, and as always, thanks for joining us here in the Aqua Cave. Now, what better way to start off than with something that has been so long in the making and feels like a fantastic capper to a personal journey that I began all the way back in 2005? Now, right after saying that it's a it's a journey I began all the way back in 2005, I immediately realized that I kind of sound like one of those old people who's like, well, back in my day, you kids just wouldn't understand how different things were. But because it's a very personal journey, I guess I'll, you know, sort of just let that slide and keep going with my thoughts. In the year 2005, well, I was going to say the world was preparing Johnny C's world was preparing for the imminent release of Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Now, you might say to yourself, well, Johnny, why was that such a big deal? Because this was the mindset of the time. This is the last Star Wars film. This is the end. I don't know what's going to happen in the rest of my life, but I can guarantee you one thing. I won't be sitting in the theater to watch an original Star Wars movie ever again. Now, since 2005, I've been proven wrong six times because I am going to count that Star Wars Clone Wars cartoon theatrical release because eh, it's a technicality and I kind of have to. Nothing against the Clone Wars. It's too bad that that introduction movie didn't really show what the series was going to be quote-unquote capable of when it comes to uh, a narrative that pushes the Star Wars mythology forward. And who would have known at the time that Ahsoka would go from Sky Guy touting hated character to beloved fan favorite? But kind of like in the world of professional wrestling, you just kind of never know where you're going to start. You might show up as the, the blue chipper and become... The most electrifying man in all of entertainment. And when you grow up, if you are The Rock, you know, you become a Hollywood trillionaire and have a creepy Instagram uh, account that makes me feel like there's something going on there that we're not seeing. And I mean to throw no shade at the charismatic showman known as Dwayne Johnson. It's just, can it really be that perfect? I have no idea. And it's a story for another show. But there have been more original Star Wars films released. You've got Clone Wars, Solo, Rogue One, and of course, Episodes 7, 8, and 9. But back in 05, this was it. We could not have predicted the sale to Disney, which caused, of course, a boom. Because at the time, whether or not you really enjoy the prequels being irrelevant, I always sort of thought of it like this. Star Wars is the story of Anakin Skywalker. And now keep in mind, this is when it was contained to six films. And also, it's George Lucas's story. And regardless of how much content is created, whether it be books, video games, etc., etc., those six films are it. You know, in 2005, I was thinking, well, gosh, maybe in 2030, they might release some book that talks about XYZ that I never got an answer for. 
but never in my wildest dreams that I believe we'd get more live-action content. It was also my last year of college. I graduated shortly after Episode 3 came out. So not only was I viewing this as the end of a, a cinematic saga that honestly shaped my appreciation for film, and I say that truthfully, uh, which is a story I guess I could tell another time, but my personal life was also changing dramatically as well. I was about to become a full-time, no-longer student. Gotta enter the quote-unquote real world. Um, I don't even know if those terms or uh, way of thinking is honestly a proper way to look at life. Um, but I guess you could say that uh, my, my, my upbringing and everything shaped that outlook. So I don't mean to sound sort of like a prick, like, oh, well, now that I'm done with college, I better grow up and get a job. Because that's, you know... That's that's not a that's not a proper outlook to have of life. But I can only give you my own experiences, and that's how I felt at the time. So it felt as if this major door was being slammed shut. It's like once I see episode three, the world will never be the same. And while I was right, unfortunately, in a lot of shitty ways, it wasn't the end of Star Wars. Which brings us to what we're talking about today: the first episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi Star Wars, a Disney Plus original series. Gosh, not to mention, if I could just circle back to 05, the the process of getting everybody together in the group that was going to go see the movie and making sure that they not only had tickets, tickets for the proper midnight showing, I might add, having to see movies at midnight, but also having to get to the theater early so you could get in line to get a decent seat. And wouldn't you know it, folks, I spent weeks, maybe even a month, in my friend group organizing this massive Episode 3 undertaking. We get to the theater. We're about to be the first in line because I made everybody get to the theater at like 7 or 7.30. We get in line. We're the first. And holy shit, who's the one person in the group that forgot to bring their ticket? Good old Johnny C, which just goes to show, no matter how far in advance you plan, Johnny C can always fuck up your plan in the uh, in the end. But yes, we could have never imagined that streaming services would be a thing. At least I couldn't. Some industry insider might be able to tell you, yeah, all the way back in 05, we had already mapped out how things were going to be going in the next uh, decade or so. But, you know, streaming services becoming a viable option for content, and then companies getting behind these streaming services to produce what I would arguably call theatrical quality content. Never would have thought it was going to happen, but here we are. Obi-Wan Kenobi featuring the return that we know of Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi, thank God, and Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader. Now, your mileage may vary with that last statement, but honestly... And I, I love Obi-Wan Kenobi as a character. I love Ewan McGregor. I, I'm coming to you with this show as of press time, not having seen these episodes. Because this is our introduction to prime us for Star Wars and for my take on it. Because after all, my review, my criticisms, my positives, negatives are all going to be derived from personal experience. And while I hope yours is a different experience, because I, I hate I hate the idea that two people can look at the same piece of art and have the exact same experience. I mean, of course it can happen, but I like I love how art makes people feel differently. 
And then we come together, share those differences, find some sort of common ground, and realize that as a species, we have a lot more in common than we have in conflict. But again, that's a, that's a podcast for another time. But the point that I was trying to make, circling back to when I was talking about the returning cast, is I am extremely excited for the return of Hayden Christensen. I mentioned up top that to me, Star Wars was the story of Anakin Skywalker, an individual who was born into the galaxy without purpose, found purpose, corrupted that purpose, and ultimately died, maybe fulfilling that purpose, maybe not fulfilling that purpose, I don't really know, because I'm not the creator of Star Wars. And I always found that fascinating. The idea that an individual finds a purpose or meaning, rebels against it, and ultimately, you know, in their closing moments, I guess, it's it's a film, so it's it's a bit dramatized or dramatized. You know, it's kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, he or he being Darth Vader, pronouns pal. You know, he took off the mask and he dies as Anakin Skywalker. You know, shows up as the ghost as, of as Anakin Skywalker. But how do you? come to terms with the fact that your life was not what you wanted, intended, assumed, etc., etc. And I think it's a fascinating human condition to think about and ponder. And Hayden Christensen returning as Darth Vader means that, in my opinion, we're going to get to experience more of Darth Vader from not only the actor that brought him to life, but the actor that spent the most time in that mindset. We could argue back and forth about the Hayden Christensen performance in Star Wars Episode 2 and 3 all day. And I think a better director gets a better performance if you're one of those people who's really against the performance. And you could also argue that a more polished script uh, alters that performance as well. But we can't this isn't a show to play the what-if game. There are other shows that you know can talk about the what-if game. We only know what there is. And I am excited as hell to see Darth Vader's story continued from that original actor. I'm excited for the man himself. You know, I don't know Hayden Christensen. I've seen some press leading up to Obi-Wan where the man seems very grateful to have been brought back into the fold to continue this character's journey. And that's the type of actor I want if I'm, you know, investing in this project, whether it's financially or artistically. I want someone who wants to be here. And I'm not saying Ewan McGregor doesn't want to be here. I think he's excited as all get out as well from what I can tell. But I think... I don't want to say Hayden Christensen has something to prove, but I think that he has probably, I don't want to make assumptions here, but this is the type of an op- this is the kind of opportunity that I believe an actor in that situation has been waiting for for quite some time. And I'm also extremely excited to not only see how Mr. Christensen moves in the suit, how his performance comes to life underneath that suit. And this is the big kicker for me, folks. Like I said, I haven't seen Obi-Wan yet. Uh, This is going to be the last kind of point I want to make before we start reviewing the show proper, after, of course, I've seen it. Isn't, Isn't recording audio amazing? You know, I'll let you all in on the secret. I'm recording this well in advance. And as soon as I transition to talking about it, my God, it's the future! Well, I guess that would be the past, though, if you're listening to it. 
man, the world is crazy. But I am most excited to see what is done with the Darth Vader character's voice. And I hope, after all this build-up, that the first two episodes, which will be released and reviewed simultaneously by myself, answers that question. I I love James Earl Jones' performance as the vocals for Darth Vader. It's iconic in all the right ways. Uh, it's not iconic like Tommy Wiseau's The Room performance, for example. Oh, Lisa, you're tearing me apart. Oh, hi, Mark. You know, it's not that type of iconic, if you've seen The Room. But Mr. Mr. Jones, I don't know if I call him Mr. Earl Jones or not. I apologize, Mr. Jones, and to all of Mr. Jones's relatives and friends who might be listening. But the vocal performance in Rogue One, especially because he has a lot more to say than he does in The Rise of Skywalker, I feel the age. And that is not meant as disrespect. It's just a reality that all human beings have to face. I feel it. And I am hoping... Hoping, hoping, hoping with fingers tightly crossed. I want Hayden Christensen's vocals to be coming out of Darth Vader. And I want a filter put on top of them. Because, you know, Disney can do crazy things. Between their Luke Skywalker deep fakes and crazy Mark Hamill voice. Um, which is, a again, a completely other topic. We're not talking about, like, Grand Admiral Tark or... Grand Admiral, I called him. Good Lord. A Star Wars fan, you call yourself, Johnny C? Grand Moff Tarkin. Uh, I'm not talking about the uh, Polar Express Grand Moff Tarkin from Rogue One, and I'm not talking about um, the the deep fake Luke Skywalker from The Mandalorian, okay? I want a Darth Vader filter put on top of Mr. Christensen's performance, and I want to hear Darth Vader talk. I want Hayden Christensen to be Darth Vader completely. I want the Anakin Skywalker actor's performance to influence the Darth Vader character that we see in Obi-Wan. That is how you reconcile these various versions of these characters across time. It still bugs me to this day that in episodes 7, 8, and 9... We never got to see any legacy characters in, in, in any prequel settings. And here's what I mean by that. We never got to see Leia on Coruscant. Now, is that important? I, I don't really know. But the disconnect between 1, 2, 3, and 4, 5, and 6, regardless of anything that was added in a special edition or anything like that, there's always been a disconnect there for me as a fan and as someone who loves the Star Wars saga. So... To be able to unite these sagas in 7, 8, and 9, I think was a missed opportunity. I'm not here to shit on the sequels. I love 7 and 8. I do not like 9. Story for another time. Uh, but something, you know, like seeing Princess Leia or Admiral General Leia on Coruscant in the Senate building even would have been a massive, massive way to bring the cohesiveness of the Star Wars universe together. The, the one thing we get that at least stands out to my mind as a positive memory uh, in terms of uniting the sagas was when Luke Skywalker says Darth Sidious to Rey in Episode Nine. He's like the Jedi were, uh, you know, manipulated by Darth Sidious, which is something that was never, you know, the phrase Darth Sidious isn't said in 4, 5, and 6 because honestly it didn't exist yet, regardless of what George Lucas and his yellow notepad might try to convince you of, Okay. So hearing Mark Hamill as an aged Luke Skywalker say Darth Sidious meant the fucking world to me. And I hope that sort of makes it clear 
why having Hayden Christensen be the voice of Darth Vader is extremely important to me, and it's the thing that I'm most looking forward to. So, God, I hope after this sh- sh- this whole spiel, it comes to fruition. Um, other than that, I'm extremely excited for the show to see what it adds to the mythos. I have nothing but positivity going in. We'll see what they can do moving forward. So that is going to sort of sum up, you know, why I'm excited for Star Wars or Obi-Wan Kenobi Star Wars or Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi, however they want to market it. Let's head over now to the dark side of the podcast where we review the show, talk spoilers, and see what actually happened. If you tuned in to hear or see what Johnny C had to say, I'm warning you, right now we are crossing into spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen it, go watch the show and come right back and now it's time to swim in the deep end with no lifeguard in spoiler territory now that we've seen obi-wan kenobi episodes one and two we do not know what darth vader sounds like yet but holy shit leia is here i can't believe it and this is one of the reasons why i love when i stay spoiler free which i gotta admit Disney and Disney Plus and all their shows, their Marvel shows, Star Wars shows, they do a really good job of keeping shit under wraps. So I had no idea Princess Leia was going to be a part of the show. But oh boy, I'm happy that she is. Oh gosh, where do we start? Let's start with episode one. And right from the get-go, previously, I, I just love... Love, love, love seeing this old footage repurposed and repackaged and re-edited together to tell a story, to evoke certain story beats and get an emotional response out of us. And oh boy, this was the tears number one, folks. I was just all into this. Uh, When Obi-Wan had his little nightmare as well with the repurposed footage, uh, those were tears number two. I just... uh, Star Wars just gets me, guys. Um, we go right from the repurposed footage to the reimagining or the, the, the different point of view of Order 66 with that insane, repetitive execute Order 66, execute Order 66. Man, it was just, it, was, it felt like true chaos. It goes from calm, peaceful meditation and training on the observation deck to hell on earth or hell on Coruscant I suppose you would say and it was so well done one of those girls is the third sister right Reva I believe her name is now I don't want to uh, tell tales out of school but there's a a youngling because I think they're all younglings uh, with the same style of hair that Reva has and it can't be a coincidence right that's got to be one of the reasons why she's so angry and and probably willingly became an inquisitor if if I felt that the Jedi had failed me and made me experience, like, failed to protect me from the trauma of Order 66, I see how that could leave a couple of scars. Not literal stars, stars, I say. Not literal scars, like Anakin, but emotional scars. And Reva seems like a character that has her shit together, but really doesn't have her shit together. Pivoting to the present... 10 years after Revenge of the Sith. I love the dual setup of this episode. Life on Tatooine 
versus life on Alderaan. Now, I think one of the great developments of this Obi-Wan Kenobi series is really how it positions the children of Anakin and Padme as the probably the most important cornerstones of the Star Wars galaxy, uh, maybe the two most important people in existence, if you will. Now, Episode 3 establishes this at the end, and of course we have Episodes 4 through 9, yada, like we have all that meta knowledge, okay? We live in the real world after all. But this show is establishing them as everything, the compass, if you will. The, the, they're the MacGuffin, Luke and Leia are, but not MacGuffin that were, cha- well, Leia maybe a little bit later on, but, you know, everything that Ben endures, and I'm, I'm maybe, maybe call him Ben, maybe Obi-Wan, I don't know. I've never really liked Ben as a name but or for Obi-Wan, but whatever. Obi-Wan has this pointless existence. Not pointless, but his existence, it, it, God, it just reminds me of like regular life. He has no one. He has nothing. He's pretty much murdered his connection to the Force in a sense that he doesn't use it, except, I guess, to try to attempt to commune with Qui-Gon Jinn. You know, are we led to believe, or being led to believe, that he has yet to have a successful communication with Qui-Gon? He mentions him again in Episode 2, like he could really use some help. And I really appreciated that. I thought that was really cool. But Sad Ben, man, he is he is he harvesting a crate dragon? From, I mean, is that what his life is? Like, cutting meat out? Does he work like at a meatpacking plant? I don't know, but it's it's a really sad existence. It's an existence that couldn't be further removed from the adventures and shenanigans that he was a part of in episodes 1, 2, and 3. You know, I know it was war, but Anakin and Obi-Wan had whimsical adventures even in the war. And yes, they had sad times and hard times, but at the end of the day, they had purpose, they had meaning. And Ben, even though he's you know, looking after Luke from afar, he's got nothing. That sad bus ride home, man, it just, it hits in the right spots. Tika, the little Jawa. I want this guy in everything. He's cracking me up. I love him and uh, Obi-Wan talking to one another. I just, I don't know. If you're going to steal from me, at least clean it first. I don't know. It's perfect. Like, Jawas are great. They've gotten so much fun. They've become so much fun over the years. I don't know. It just, it, I like the idea that, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Tika was funny and I, it's cute. I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. And the, the little ship toy that he brings Luke. Oh, the feels, man. And it turns out, speaking of the feels, that maybe Uncle Owen's not a dick after all. It looks like he, you know, he does feel something for Luke. I mean, he is the boy's quote unquote, uh, you know, adopted father, if you will. It's always, there's such a disconnect, uh, even in episode two and three and here, it's like Anakin might've been Owen's brother, but he wasn't like his brother, brother. He's a stepbrother that, and they didn't even meet until they were, but let's say for argument's sake, let's say that, uh, I know Anakin's supposed to be like 19. Let's say, let's say Owen's like 28. I just throw a number on it. Did they have a relationship between episodes two and three? Like, he's a stranger. Like, where's the loyalty here? I I don't know. I'm not trying to... I'm not faulting the Obi-Wan Kenobi show for that. 
Um, I just would like to know a little bit more about Owen. Like, why does he feel compelled to watch over Luke? Is it because he's a child? I mean, look, I get the idea that a person would, you know, not want harm to come to a child. But what motivates Owen to maintain this shroud of secrecy? Like, I don't know. I've never really gotten that. I don't know if the show is going to dig into it anymore or if this is just a cameo from Joel Edgerton as Uncle Owen. But I really would like to see some more development. And pivoting from the the barren dunes of Tatooine to the beautiful Alderaan. God, I'm loving spending some time in Alderaan. Like, obviously, famously blown to shit in Star Wars Episode Four by the Death Star. But getting to see what the Organa family was up to on a day-to-day basis and what their life was. I'm digging it. I'm loving seeing Princess Leia as a princess, as, I don't want to call her an accessory, but like as a royal accessory, you know, just sit there and wave and what have you. But she's not an accessory to her parents. Obviously, her parents love her. And this little girl is fantastic as a young Leia. And you know what really sells the whole thing? And I don't mean this in a mean way, because I got it myself. I, I'll, I'll put myself under the bus first. I got a big, tall forehead. All right? And whenever Leia appears, especially in 4, 5, and 6, with her hair pulled back into like a tight bun, Carrie Fisher has a taller forehead. Now, I guess one could argue that when our hair is up forward or up high or pushed back, we all have a big forehead. I'm not... <laughs> this is not what this is about. But it's just that small decision, that small wardrobe decision just visually cues it all together. I know that's silly, and it might be a strange thing to point out, but it's just perfect. And she is everything Jake Lloyd wasn't as a young Anakin Skywalker. She is a perfect combination of Padme and Anakin. It's amazing, and I love this series. Let's say that the rest of the series is awful. (laughs) Good luck selling me on that idea, but let's just pretend. To give us a young Princess Leia that's so true to her parents, but yet herself as well, it goes down in history as a tremendous addition to the Star Wars mythology, and I'm putting my foot down on it right now and saying that it's the truth. I love seeing Jimmy Smith's back as Bail Organa. Good for you, man. Good for you indeed. And I'm really enjoying that this is sort of Leia's prequel, if you will. We spend I mean, Star Wars 4, 5, and 6, yes, it becomes more of a, of a, of a cast scenario where we, you know, we have equal investment in, in all of our main protagonists. But Episode 4 especially is Luke Skywalker's quote-unquote origin story. It's all about Luke. And now, you know, when we meet Leia, she's already a soldier, a senator, a rebel, etc., etc. I love seeing her as a youth and really getting her prequel, if you will. Because Luke, basically, up until the moment that uh, Episode 4 happens, he's just that kid in the sands. I don't need his high school years. But Leia's journey is different, and this is her prequel, and I'm really buying into it so far. And holy shit, who would have thought that she'd be kidnapped by Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Or Needles from Back to the Future 2 and 3? What a crazy piece of casting. But you know what? They make it work. And I love it. Let's work ourselves into a conversation about the Inquisitors, though. So, I don't have 
much of a personal connection with the Inquisitors. I've not seen uh, Rebels before, and I only know the Inquisitors from, I don't know, pictures, TV spots, uh, official merchandise. So I'm familiar with the concept, but having it adapted to the big screen, in quotation marks, is what brings them to my forefront. And I am really glad they're here. I find the concept very interesting. I also love, and this is mainly the reason why I bring up my experience with them, I don't know if this is a new thing or something they always say, but the Jedi hunt themselves, fantastic, fantastic way of describing the Jedi, kind of throwing shade at them, but also just, you know, they do. They follow. The, they they hunt themselves. They leave a trail of compassion. It's who they are. It was really really good world building type stuff. I like the fifth brother. He's pretty cool. I uh, believe the gentleman is from the Fast and the Furious uh, series. He plays one of the uh, family members there, Han, I think. Um, who I actually, you know, hey, I don't really like. Oh, now I have to kind of admit that. Okay, let me put it this way. You want to put one on, I'll watch it until something else, until somebody dangles some keys or something like that, okay? It's fine. Anywho, Reva, however, takes the cake. The Grand Inquisitor is not really doing anything for me, but I guess that's okay because I'm not going to have to deal with him for much longer once we start talking about Episode 2. But Reva is a, is a very interesting character. She's the third sister, which is a sweet title to have. It just it rolls off the tongue well, looks good on paper, and it sounds frightening as well. I'm digging this character quite a bit. I'm excited to get into more of her motivations. I have a theory I'm going to put out there into the zeitgeist, but I can't talk about it until we talk about Episode 2. So, Obi-Wan gets the call to action from Bail Organa, and he's off to pursue the princess. And it takes him to Episode 2 and the planet Dayu, I believe it's called. This is a very cool planet. I love Star Wars cities. Uh, obviously, Coruscant is a big favorite of mine. I liked uh, the little city they went to in The Mandalorian where they had the streetlights because the creatures lived in the dark and uh, uh, the Mandalorian hunted down alien John Leguizamo at like a boxing match or something. Uh, I'm just trying to recall. But you guys know what I'm talking about. We're all, we're all Star Wars fans here. The entire planet seems to be the bottom level of Coruscant with uh, seedy locales, bars, clubs, and what have you, and no communica communications jammed inside and outside the planet? How does the Empire allow this to happen? I don't know, but hey, it's Star Wars, so I'm just going with it because it's Star Wars, and who doesn't love it? Uh, they're selling spice on this planet here, though. Now, spice has become so much more prevalent in Star Wars culture, but it is dangerously close to Spice from Dune. And will this be the straw that breaks the camel's back that leads to a lawsuit? I doubt it. But it's too bad. Could no one offer Obi-Wan death sticks? I mean... It, it, I, dude, it's... You have... I, I don't know that the scenario he's in is, is a situation that calls for comedy. But if she was like, fine, no Spice. You want to buy some death sticks? And he kind of looked at... Like, maybe he puts the hand on his hips and puts the head to the side. Like, oh, I'm going to give you a talking to, young lady. But then she's like, okay, okay, I get it. No death sticks. And just walks away. Like, I don't know. What are you going to do? 
the fact that we have all this new prequel era content, which is my jam, I don't care. They can they can leave the death sticks at home. Oh my god. The Clone Wars veteran. Holy shit. Not only was this just a poignant moment because it brings to the forefront real trauma that we deal with as a species, but mm, just tying into the Star Wars universe, the conflict Obi-Wan must feel for this clone trooper. A clone trooper that he could have had hundreds of adventures with. And that still wouldn't have prevented this clone trooper from having to fulfill the order, the, uh, the, the call to arms of Order 66. Uh, man, it's just heartbreaking. Heartbreaking what... And what's so interesting is that there's so much implied in Obi-Wan's desire to want to give this man credits, but also his fear of giving this man credits. And ultimately, he makes the Jedi decision, of course. But I think this, is, this isn't this is so much a Jedi decision. Oh, this is a personal decision. I think that's important to draw attention to. And it, it might sound kind of silly, like, Johnny, what the hell are you talking about? You're diving too deep into this. It's just a, a moment. But well, I don't know. Like, I think it's a good choice for the character because... If you're a Jedi and you ultimately are trying to do what's right for the greater good, that's not what potentially revealing yourself to this clone trooper is. It's going to help the individual, this clone trooper out, sure, but it's not going to help the greater good because if you get caught, you can't rescue Leia, dominoes fall, we all, we, we get it. This is a decision that Obi-Wan the person makes, not the Jedi that he has been. And I, I think that was fascinating and... Um, Again, it's another small thing. that Let's just make the silly argument that none of the other episodes are good. Huh. Sell me on that one. Again, I dare you. But adding just that moment to the Star Wars mythology makes this a, a massive win on a personal level for me. Also, a massive win on a personal level. Getting Tamara Morrison some, some, some more money. I love that guy. That's Aqua Dad, you know? That's Aquaman's dad. Of course we love Tamara Morrison. You want to have yourself a time... Watch some Tamara Morrison interviews on YouTube where he's hyping up um, the book of Boba Fett. What a what a guy to spend some time with. I just feel like every minute would be a blast. He just seems so keyed in to living. I, I, again, it sounds ridiculous. I, I don't know the guy. I only know the interviews. It's like, uh, you know. But he just seems so vibrant and lively and like a fun person to be around. So I love it. Now, hopefully by the time this is released, it's not revealed some sort of terrible things after I raised all this praise for Mr. Morrison. But, I, you know, I, I think we're good. It just, you know, his enthusiasm is infectious. All right. Haja Estri, played by Kumal, Nalan, Kumal Nalanjani. I, yeah, I'm just, I don't do second takes. Uh, Kumail Nalanjani. There we go. From, well, I, from many things, I'm sure. I know him as Kingo the Eternal. Uh, that's pretty, well, I, I don't want to say that's how he, you know, permeated into popular culture. That's when I, uh, you know, first saw a performance of his. And I got to say, I like him. I like this uh, sort of con man who pretends to be a Jedi uh, under the guise of being a more reliable source to get people to freedom. You know, because when we first meet the character, it's uh, it, you know it seems obvious. Uh, he's just uh, what's the next scam 
for a quick buck. It's like if Zach Morris existed in the Star Wars universe, he would just find a quick way to make a buck, uh, taking advantage of trying to convince people that he's a Jedi. So I love that. I love the Bart Simpson, Zach Morris of it all. But I do love the fact that it's a way for him to stay alive while helping people because ultimately that's what the character seems to want to do. Um, but he also loves credits, so what are you going to do indeed? Little Leia being like Queen Amidala was so cute, and it gave me all the feels. And it's just, uh, you know, again, I- I'm really digging Obi-Wan's, res- his sadness and his, um, you know, his reaction to what was lost when Padme died. Because it seems like he's aware that, you know, I didn't just lose a friend, uh, a someone that uh, you know, like a friend is a strange way to describe their relationship. I feel like uh, if you're just got the movies, I'm sure there's probably some Clone Wars episodes where they're maybe hanging out, drinking some space tea, and they're friendly with one another. I just mean like uh, it seemed that Obi-Wan really saw what Padme uh, represented and the voice she could have been for common sense and what have you. And Lord knows, uh, here in the real world especially, we need some of those. But to lose uh, a person who had that passion and was also a good a good human being seems to really weigh on his conscience. And of course, it's, he sees it as an extension uh, of, of his brother's death, brother being Anakin Skywalker, of course. So I dug that quite a bit. You get some real uncivilized combat from uh, Mr. Kenobi here, though, with the blaster. He really has not—he's really put a hard no on the Force. That is, of course, until he uses it at the end to save little Leia, which I say lovingly. I'm thinking little Leia is going to become a, a phrase I'm going to use quite a bit on the show, perhaps. Um, you know, and even then, he has to sort of reattune with it to use it. And I appreciated that. It really goes to show the lengths that Obi-Wan has gone to to keep the universe's greatest uh, hope a secret, if you will. Reva makes the power play by killing the Grand Inquisitor. I thank her for that because he was kind of giving me the creeps. Not in a way that like, oh, that character is freaky, but just, I don't want to look at that guy anymore. And if that's the only negative thing I have to say about Star Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Episodes 1 and 2, I think we're getting off pretty damn good. She also does some of the sickest parkour this side of Casino Royale. I I loved the way that she moved through the cityscapes. Uh, very animalistic in a way. Very much kind of like the way I would expect to see, because, you know, we don't get to see many Siths, in, and, I, and I know that Reva's not a Sith, so part of the expression, but follow me on this, okay? The dark side, we, we do see Darth Maul wield the dark side, okay? We don't get an extended sequence of acrobatics like this. Of course, he's acrobatic in the fight, but it's contained. Count Dooku, or Darth Tyrannus, which is a phrase that I never hear anyone use, so when Darth Tyrannus... Uh, gets into combat. Well, Mr. Tyrannus, or Lord Tyrannus, if you will, is an older bloke, and uh, he's not moving like this. But Reva, she's flowing with the dark side of the Force. She's moving, kind of slithering like a snake. But also, my, to my original point, I love comparing the way that she gracefully uses or abuses the Force to move more efficiently and quickly and to extend her own capabilities because it really feels different from the way that a Jedi would jump through 
the the skies like that or move through those cityscapes. And I, I don't really have any evidence to point to, so I'm going to ask you to bear with me on that one. But I don't know. There just seems to be more raw, <laughs> Monday Night Raw, <laughs> if you will, energy coming out of Riva as she moves to the city. I don't want to spend more time on it because I feel like I'm beating it into the ground, but I really appreciate them taking the time to alter the choreography to make in continuity like world building points. I think that is fantastic and needs to be commended. So of course, the big reveal at the end of episode two, and I I probably can't, I can't do it any better than the filmmakers or Mr. McGregor did, but uh, Obi-Wan's reaction to learning the news that Anakin Skywalker is still alive. Well, you know, Lord Vader's wants you, which means, of course, yes, Anakin Skywalker is alive, which Reva says to him, and he's just done mentally. Uh, his, his world, his galaxy, thrown head over feet, okay? But, so, I don't, I don't want to wait, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that because, you know, that's, the acting does it all for me. Here's what interests me. Reva does, of course, tell him, being Obi-Wan, that Darth Vader is after him, and she reiterates the point. She makes a point to say Anakin Skywalker is still alive. Now, her bringing this up uh, leads me to two talking points, one of which is quick, the other one is a more of a theory. The quick one, and this brings up questions about how she actually knows this information. I do not believe, according to what I researched, that the Inquisitors... Uh, specifically are stated that they know that Darth Vader was once the Jedi known as Anakin Skywalker, which, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure will be explained. I'm not calling it a plot hole or anything like that, but it leads me to the longer theory talking point, okay? So, I started thinking, why would Reva tell Obi-Wan this information? Is it to potentially throw him off balance so um, he can become easier prey? I don't know. It seems to me like Reva is making a power play here. It seems to me that her goal may not be to capture Obi-Wan, but to, much like Marvel villain Baron Zemo, create a scenario that ultimately leads to Darth Vader and Obi-Wan to a fatal conflict so she can take advantage of the situation and become the Emperor's number two. Kind of like a... You know, maybe she's found in some sort of archives, or maybe she's obtained this hidden knowledge that Anakin Skywalker uh, took an oath to the Sith and became Darth Vader. And she, uh, you know, this would add more fuel to her hatred for her own existence by being an Inquisitor and having to not be trained and become a Jedi because of the events of Episode 3. And I think this would motivate that character to want to be the number two, if nothing else, to spit on the grave of the Jedi, meaning... You know, I'm going to take down Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker in one fell swoop and, uh, you know, really make them pay for the shit that they made me live through. And I'm going to achieve the highest level of power in my new lot in life. Like, I got to deal with all this shit that happened to me. Now I'm a fucking Sith Inquisitor or a Jedi Inquisitor or whatever. And uh, I'm, I'm number three on the totem pole. Or, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, but, but the, you know, all that being said, it's the ultimate fuck you to the Jedi that couldn't hold their shit together and keep her safe as a youngling. And that's why I think she's chosen this time to reveal this information to Obi-Wan and why she would explicitly state it. It's given her a tactical advantage. 
Uh, I think that's the literal explanation. And my big fan theory is that she's done the entire thing, so it leads to a conflict down the road. Now, I can't in good conscience give pretty much anything that I review in, when it comes to, to film and television and streaming a 10 out of 10 because I think it's, uh, I don't know, it seems to me like it should almost be impossible to achieve. But putting this whole package together, I'm giving this an easy 9 out of 10. Um, and I'm going to admit that at least one and a half of those points may be tacked on because the prequels the era that I you know was drawn to that they started coming out when I was a freshman in high school and I wanted every piece of information I could obtain and absorb about the prequels regardless of acting choices scripting choices what have you the prequels are my jam uh, episode four is my favorite of course but growing up with the prequels and following them uh, you know thinking as a kid they'll never make more Star Wars movies and then again like I reiterated in 05 pretty much being damn sure they weren't going to make any more Star Wars movies the prequels were my jam and pretty much this is just a continuation of episode 3 so that's probably going to be the uh, be- the uh, the uh, the average if you will so take my score subtract one and a half from it and that's what it probably is unless you're a massive prequels fan so that's going to wrap up our coverage of episodes one and two of Obi-Wan here on Stream Fighter 2. And come back for us next week when we will hit up episode three as it comes. And please hit me up on Twitter at the Johnny C. Let me know if there's something out there that you think I should be talking about. Leave a review on the show. Give us a subscribe. We're going to be creating and producing more content like this that talks about uh, pop culture and more of a, you know, to try to keep in time with its actual release. So, you know, these big opening weekends, opening days, uh, as soon as you can absorb the content, I will try to get some kind words out to you that you can listen to uh, as soon as humanly possible. Because I know, I'm a fan too. After I absorb this stuff, I want to talk about it with somebody. I want to hear somebody talk about it. And that's what I'm here to do with all of you. Stay dry out there in the real world, but come back and swim in the Aqua Cave the next time we cover Obi-Wan Kenobi.